and pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. They call it a ceasefire, but will there ever be a ceasefire? No, it's just a stopping, a cessation of warfare until Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran can regather their forces and gather together some more rockets and proceed with their next attack. So what is the real cause? What is the real cause of this long Arab war? And is it really just an Arab war, or is it something far broader? That's what we want to look at here today on Viewpoint. One writer says that anti-Semitism has surged worldwide in the wake of the Gaza campaign. Incidents in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and beyond all through Europe have spiked significantly since the beginning of the Israeli Defense Forces military campaign in Gaza last week. Why did they frame it that way? Why did they not say that the anti-Semitic incidents have increased significantly since... Hamas attacked Israel with thousands of rockets, thousands of rockets. Why didn't they say it that way? Because that would not have served their predisposed notion that Israel is always at fault. And there's a reason why Israel has to be at fault. Israel has to be at fault. So God said, to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And through your seed, that is through Isaac, the son of promise, will all the nations be blessed. That just is untenable to both the Arabs, to Muslims, and to the entire world. It is untenable that the God of creation should have, did, in fact, enter into a covenant with the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that through them would all the peoples of the earth be blessed. That's not fair, the nation's reason. That just is absurd. There's no equity in that, and certainly no equality. We should all have been blessed. Well, God said, yes, indeed, I want you all to be blessed. But I want you to be blessed through the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which produced someone called Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of David by lineage, the son of Abraham by faith, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The problem is that the nations don't want to receive that son of promise, either Isaac, the physical son of promise, or Jesus Christ, the spiritual son of promise. And therefore, they rage. So when the psalmist in Psalm 2 asks the question, why do the heathen or the nations rage? I just gave you the answer. I just gave you the simple answer. You will never hear it on MSNBC or in uh, CBN or in CNN or Fox News or even Newsmax. You won't hear it there. Why? 
because they're not thinking through spiritual eyes. They don't see the issues of our time through spiritual eyes. They see them through geopolitical eyes. And multiculturalism, religious pluralism, and political correctness. But the nations are determining destiny. I want you to know that. Even now, the drum roll announcing the opening of the final curtain on the divine drama of human history is fading, revealing the spectacular conflict that's soon to take center stage. This was just preliminary. Israel's response to Gaza was just preliminary. And the nations are raging. They're raging because of it. They say Israel has a right to defend itself, according to Joe Biden. But when you look at his policies, when you look at his response, no way. They're just words. Just words. So the geopolitical lines and historical alliances, once deemed destined to endure the ravages of time, have shifted dramatically just in the last generation. Arch enemies have baffled the world, becoming end-time friends. Friends have become implacable foes. Betrayal has bereaved the world of ancient trusts, leaving wilders, leaders bewildered at the shocking events unfolding rapidly before their terrified eyes. Indeed. Listen carefully. The nations are being stirred in unprecedented rage. And that's exactly what God foretold was going to take place. He actually told us through the psalmist, Psalm 2 is one of the most amazing little psalms, prophetic psalms in the Bible. And few people know about it. It begins by asking the question, why do the heathen or the nations rage? We want to answer that question here today on Viewpoint. We want to focus on not just the why, but where does it go from here? Where does it fit in the greater panoply of God's purposes as we approach the second coming of Jesus Christ? You're listening to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms. We're here not just to talk about facts. We're here to talk about transformation. We're here to apply the scriptures to the facts of our time. Carolyn Glick, extremely well-known writer in Israel, wrote a piece on Israel National News this week called Facing the Real Cause of the Long Arab War. She says in his book, From Ambivalence to Betrayal, the left, the Jews, and Israel... The late historian Robert Wistrick com- uh, documented how before, during, and after the Nazi period, scholars from the political left disregarded and denied the ideological power that anti-Semitism held over the Germans and their collaborators. The cause of their blindness was, she said, Marxism. Marxism has long been theoretical prism through which the left sees the world. Marxism is hateful and contemptuous of Judaism. Judaism, because Judaism is fundamentally opposed to the obedient universality that communism demands. Let me repeat that. Listen carefully. Marxism is hateful and contemptuous of Judaism because Judaism is fundamentally opposed to the obedient universality that communism demands. So Karl Marx and his followers sought to eradicate Judaism 
through a world communist revolution that Jews could only join if they first abandoned their national culture and religious identities. Now, I want to replace the word Judaism with the word Christians, because they fit. Marxism has long been the theoretical prism through which the left sees the world. Marxism is hateful and contemptuous of Christians, because Christians are fundamentally opposed to the obedient universality that communism demands. Karl Marx and his followers sought to eradicate Christianity through a world communist revolution that Christians could only join if they first abandoned their national, cultural, and religious identities. As it is with the Jews, so it is with the Christians. Stay tuned, friends. Why do the nations rage? Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station, or anytime at saveus.org. book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 9, God says this through the prophet Joel, Proclaim this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. God is instructing the Gentiles, the Gentile nations, to prepare war. Now, why is that? Perhaps you weren't aware that God instructed that, and it's for the end times. It's not for the then times, it's for the end times. Why did God, through the prophet Joel, instruct the Gentile nations to prepare war? In other words, prepare for war. War with whom? Where war for what? War against whom? Why? Well, the clear answer is they hate God. The Gentile nations are in opposition to God and the God not only who made and preserved us a nation, but the God who made a covenant promise to a fellow by the name of Abraham over 4,000 years ago, that in and through him would all the nations of the earth be blessed. He said, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, and in and through you shall all of the peoples of the families of the earth be blessed. The world doesn't like that. The world is envious. Envy is the engine of Egypt. Did you know, as an aside here, did you know that envy is what caused Joseph in the Old Testament to be thrown in a pit by his brothers who were of the 12 tribes of Israel, the children of Israel? Did you know that? It was envy. They threw him into the pit. It was envy that caused Jesus to be crucified. The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate admitted that. 
he heard the screams and cries of the high priest and uh, all of the religious leaders of the day, crucify him, crucify him. And it said that Pontius Pilate saw through it all, and he knew that before envy they brought him. The Bible also says that each one of the apostles, other than Judas, lost their lives and were persecuted because of envy. The Bible also says that the apostle Paul was crucified and ultimately, not crucified, but uh, persecuted and ultimately lost his life because of envy. You see how powerful envy is? Envy is a killer. It's the engine of Egypt that will kill. I wrote about that in my book, Out of Egypt. But we're not here to talk completely about that. I wanted to insert that so that we could understand why the nations are raging. They're raging because of, you could say, systemic envy. People like to talk about systemic racism. No, the nations have systemic envy. Systemic envy of the Jews. That's why they hate them. It's called Jew hatred. You don't hear anybody talking about Jew hatred, though, these days. Not much. Even in the Democratic Party, even by Joe Biden, you don't hear that. No. It's all got to be directed at other things that drive the engine of the Democratic Party not the deal with the reality, the genuine reality of our times. The ultimate hatred is Jew hatred. And because of Jew hatred, Christian hatred is the corollary. Hatred of true followers of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because the true followers of Jesus Christ are the ultimate spiritual seed of Abraham. So the nations are rising up and are going to continue to rise up against the Lord and against his anointed. Who are his anointed? His anointed are Israel and then Jesus, of course, who was the anointed one. He represented the perfection of Israel. He was the only true Israeli or Jew who ever lived fully obediently before God, Jesus. And that's why he is able, through his sacrifice, to save us from all sin. Christians inherit or are grafted in to the original olive tree or covenant of God's promise to Abraham that in and through his seed would all the nations and families of the earth be blessed. That would be if indeed the Gentiles would allow themselves to be grafted in through faith in Jesus Christ. The mere fact, as the world sees it, even though they don't know how to articulate it, the mere fact, that Christians see themselves, true Bible-believing Christians, not just generically, true Bible-believing Christians that are seeking to obey God and walk in his word, his will, and his ways, 
they are hated increasingly by the Gentile world, even by unbelieving Jews. Now, why would that be? Because even the majority of Jewish people despise their own covenant. This is one of the reasons why the Jewish people in America are seen as so radically different than the Jewish people in Israel. They have relatively no interest or concern in Israel. They're just concerned about godless, emotionally driven salvation, uh, virtue signaling to make it appear as to how caring and loving they are. This is seen in Israel. This is seen throughout the world. It's a conundrum. But we're helping, trying to help to understand the dynamics that are taking place here. The psalmist in Psalm 2 asks the question, why do the heathen or the nations rage? So the word translated heathen in the King James Version is actually the Hebrew word goi, or more commonly goi. It's a term or word used to identify any people or nation other than the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it, so it generally refers to all Gentiles. So the psalmist's question is really more timely translated like this. Why do the Gentiles or Gentile nations rage? And that's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. <clears throat> so before we can explore why the Gentile nations rage, which we've already spoken about concerning the envy, maybe we need to more fully establish that the Gentile nations are raging. And indeed they are. We already reported the, that uh, anti-Semitism just in the last week or so has increased dramatically throughout the Western world. What is the Western world infected by now? Marxism. The UK, France, Germany, America, Spain, the Scandinavian countries, they're all increasingly heavily affected by Marxism. And Marxism is leading them away from their historical trust in God. So great is the intensifying of rage against any and all things Jewish or related to Israel that a virtual global boycott has been declared against all direct or even incidental investment in Israel. And who's picked up on that? Western churches. Liberal and mainline churches in America have bought into this boycott scene. Choreographed hatred by those to whom we have entrusted our youth for higher learning has metastasized now throughout our colleges and universities, resulting in a pandemic and vicious virus of anti-Semitism that's sweeping all Western nations and the institutions of higher learning are not alone in this rising rage. I'm sure you're aware, business, multinational, corporations, even our churches have become partners in this irrational rage against Jews, against Jerusalem and Israel. 
political correctness is choreographing this anti-Semitic carnage, leaving a worldwide wake of destructive, destructive bitterness that's defiling the entire Gentile world. Then we, on top of that, we have political and so-called NGOs or non-governmental organizations. They're institutionalizing this tsunami rage across the earth. The United Nations has assumed the seemingly ultimate objective of uniting the Goyim or the Gentile nations in a final end-time opposition to the state of Israel, declaring or daring that new state to endure their collective disdain. Many churches and pastors have followed suit. So-called replacement theology has enabled a rapidly growing number of armchair theologians to hitch their star to the politically correct wave of cultural and global hatred toward Israel. And these, these pastors are seeking to wrap a robe of you might call it pseudo-righteousness, around their cultural rebellion against the very clear and unadulterated words of God that they claim to serve, and who had proclaimed his eternal covenant both to the people and to the land deeded by the Lord of nations to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, by the way. So, I come from the field of law, practiced law for 20 years as a trial lawyer, and in the practice of law, we have a phrase called judicial notice. Judicial notice. Uh, that's when the court tells the parties and their attorneys, the court is going to take notice as if it were evidence presented. You're not going to have to present evidence of this the court is going to take judicial notice that this is true. So, it is taking notice and giving notice. The court is giving notice that it's going to assume that these things are true. So, here's what I have to say, what God has to say to pastors and priests and presidents and popes and prime ministers to take God is taking judicial notice, or they need to take judicial notice from God, the God of heaven. Here's what he says. When I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered, and shall be sanctified or set apart in them in the sight of the heathen, that is, the Gentile nations, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. Not Ishmael, Jacob. And they, that is Israel, shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, they shall dwell with confidence when I have executed judgments upon all them that despise them round about them. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 28. Then again, in Ezekiel. For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, says the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. And you shall know that I am the Lord, 
when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lifted up my hand to give it to your fathers. God has made it clear. I did this, and I'm going to do this. So take notice, you pastors, priests, presidents, popes, prime ministers, and all of you. Take notice. You think you're going to lift up your hand and your arm and your reasoning over mine, says the Lord? You really think that you're going to call Israel and uh, the Jewish people to task when that's my job? He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Your job is to bless them. My job will be to judge them where necessary and correct. Interesting, isn't it? We'll be back. Why do the nations rage? There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Before we go further and inspect why the heathen nations are raging, I want to make available to you my book, King of the Mountain. We have increasing number of listeners uh, that uh, have not heard of this book, and uh, because you have not heard of it and have not had opportunity to read it, you're kind of coming to all of our discussions with a little bit of deficit in understanding of the bigger picture. King of the mountain, the eternal epic and end time battle. For it is said that he who rules the temple mount rules the world. This is an extremely unusual book that ties together uh, all of the various developments of our world, both historical and prophetic, and demonstrates how they all are merging together Heading inexorably toward, guess what? Heading inexorably toward the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the context of all of that, the nations are raging. All right. That being the case, I want to make this book available to you. I have a feeling that when you get a hold of it, once you start reading, you will not want to put it down. You're not going to want to put it down. It's different than anything else out there. One Jewish talk show host uh, brought me on for uh, a half hour's conversation. And no, actually, it was for an hour. And halfway through, he said, you know what? We're not even going to be able to scratch the surface of this. Will you come on for another hour next week? 
I said, okay. So we did, and uh, about halfway through that second hour, he said, you know what? This is so powerful and so all-encompassing. Would you be willing to come on for a third hour next week? By the time we were through, it was seven weeks of interviews, one hour each. Unprecedented, unheard of. That should give you some idea. That was coming from a Jewish talk show host. Should give you some idea of why this book is so critically important for your understanding. So, here it is, a $20 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, it's called King of the Mountain. The Eternal Epic and End Time Battle. I don't think you're going to find it on uh, Amazon. It's not on Amazon anymore. It's available only through our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, the book, King of the Mountain. All right. Again, on our website, saveus.org. Or call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Now, let's now explore a little bit more why the nations rage and what God has to say about this. You see, rage is an irrational thing. It's, it's uh, uncontrollable. You've all heard of road rage. And... The rage against Israel, the rage against Christians, the growing rage around the world is very much like the perverse rationality rooted in a collective malignancy of mind and heart that you find even in road rage. Once a person gives way to it, it takes over. So, in Psalm 2, verse 1, the psalmist Ask the question, why do the heathen rage? So was he actually wondering why? Was he making an inquiry, lacking knowledge? Or was he baffled by the seeming bullish blindness of the end-time gentle nations as the people were imagining a vain thing? Because he says, why do the people rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? He says, the kings of the earth are raising themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, that takes a certain amount of chutzpah, doesn't it? Arrogance. Temerity. To arrogate your viewpoint against the viewpoint of the creator against the viewpoint of the God of history, and you are going to express your version, your vision, your interpretation as equal to or superseding his. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't think that would set well with God. And indeed it doesn't. It's defying. It's defying his authority. It's defying his godhood, and it's exactly what Satan did. 
He said, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend to the heights of the north. Mm. So there's overwhelming pride of earthly power as the people, the Gentile world, is shaking its collective fist against uh, God because God had the temerity to make a covenant with the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob rather than Ishmael. Now, if you think it was with Ishmael, I urge you to go to Genesis chapter 17, and you'll see that Abraham has a little uh, tiff with God. And he thinks that God should fulfill his covenant through Ishmael. And God says, no, I'm going to make of Ishmael a great nation, but my promise is through Isaac. It is in Isaac that your seed shall be called. That's for the mouth of God. So if you are a Muslim or wanting to take the side of a Muslim who says, well, that's a mistake, that's, that's, that isn't the way it should be, because Ishmael was the firstborn, therefore he is the one that should have had. No, he didn't. God had a different idea because Ishmael was not the son of promise. So we have to agree again with God. So the psalmist says the kings of the earth are setting themselves and the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Isn't that what's happening in the United Nations? Isn't that what's been happening through the United Nations since 1945 when it was formed, just three years before Israel became a reunited nation? Isn't that what the United States State Department did under the presidency of Harry S. Truman when they fought against him tooth and nail not to recognize Israel uh, as a new state? And Truman said, basically, I don't care what you guys say. This is the right thing to do, and I'm going to recognize Israel as a nation, which he did. That was a bold step for Harry S. Truman, a Democrat, by the way. But the nations, including the U.S., have risen up in many different ways against the Lord and against Israel, his anointed, saying, let us tear their bands asunder. Just as the psalmist said, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This unrestrained envy and rage, rebellion against God, and it's giving sort of a perverse rationality. They think and have rationalized that they're dealing with an an underdog, the Arabs. That's how they rationalize it. So the Arabs have become the blacks, of the Middle East. Instead of trying to raise the Arab people up, they're trying to control them just as the Democratic Party sees to control black America. It's the same perverse thinking. It's about power and control. It's not about 
perfecting their position and raising them up. So, the psalmist in Psalm 2 goes on and responds to this attitude of the nations and their potentates, their prime ministers, their presidents, and yes, even the Pope, who has also done exactly the same thing. Yes, I said the Pope. God's response is, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And it's interesting that when George Frederick Handel penned his Messiah, one of his arias includes quotation from Psalm 2. The Lord shall have them in derision. Have who in derision? The nations. Are they not increasingly in derision as we speak? You better believe so. In fact, they are in such derision, friends, that they are in the process of uniting together or confederating together to form a geopolitical and quasi-spiritual entity called the New World Order under the euphemism, the Great Reset, to come against Israel and God. That's what it's all about. Ultimately, to come against Orthodox Jews and against Christians. Orthodox Jews and true Bible-believing, serious, obedient Christians who are walking by faith and not by sight, they are going to be the objects of the ultimate scorn and rage of the nations. And their power base is being established as we speak. John Kerry said Joe Biden in his election was setting the stage to advance the cause of it. Are you listening? Yes. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The 
kings and power brokers of our world, of this earth, are setting themselves and have set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed Israel, just as they set themselves against Christ, his ultimate anointed, and who are setting themselves against Christians grafted into Israel through Christ and therefore become his anointed also. The kings of the earth are setting themselves, confederating against the Lord and against his anointed. It's unbelievable what we're seeing. But God responds that he will have them in derision. And in his wrath, he will vex those nations in his sore displeasure. So this is not a a take-it-or-leave-it kind of thing with God. This is the ultimate confrontation between God and humanity. The Lord of nations and the God of Israel is not happy. How's that? He's not happy. He's sore displeased. And if God is sore displeased, you better, it's a heads-up moment for you. You better take heed and correct course, or you're going to be in big, big trouble. Big trouble. Now, to talk about that big trouble and where this is heading, before we get there, again, I want to make available to you my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle. It's a $20 book. Uh, it's yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. In fact, uh, it's very difficult to truly comprehend the fullness and implications of my book, Antichrist, until you have first read King of the Mountain. Because ultimately, the Antichrist is going to be Satan's substitute for Christ to sit on the Temple Mount. And the whole world is raging to set the stage for that. And Satan himself, the deceiver, is working triple time now because he knows his time is short. He's working triple time to set the nations together enraged against Israel, God's anointed, enraged against true followers of Jesus Christ, and to set up a godless, God-hating government that promises heaven on earth, a utopia, that will ultimately turn into the most diabolical, dangerous, destructive power ever on this planet. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. The world hasn't seen anything yet until it sees that. That's where it's heading. So God is sort of pleased with what the world is doing. So he says in Psalm 2, verse 6, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill. Now, what is God's holy hill? It's the Temple Mount. In fact, if you were to read my book, King of the Mountain, you would find a whole series of chapters setting the stage for that particular understanding, and then 
a whole chapter called the Temple Mount, then another chapter following that, the Temple and Jacob's Trouble, followed by a third chapter, the End Time Temple. And that is part of just setting the stage in the first third of the book for the big, unbelievable fulfillment that is taking place right in front of our eyes. God says, I will declare the decree. He's talking about his son, that is Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. He said, I have set the decree. You are my son. This day have I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen or the Gentile nations for your inheritance, and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's exactly the language that George Frederick Handel used in his famous musical, Messiah. He will dash them in pieces. You say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, the Bible isn't just about niceness, friends. We need to get over that. God is God. He wants righteousness. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He desires that the Jewish people, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would serve him with a whole heart, but they're not. He desires that you serve him with a whole heart, but most Christians are not. He desires that every pastor and parachurch leader and priest would call the people to repentance because of their disobedience against God, but they're not. That's the condition of our world right now. And God's not happy. He's going to bring judgment. Now, God is saying in Psalm 2, look, I don't care what you big-headed pontificators, prognosticators, popes, pastors, parachurch leaders, presidents, prime ministers, I don't care what you guys say in your pompous authority. You may have every intention of putting who you think should be on my holy hill, but it ain't going to happen. Because I have already decreed that I have set my son, that is Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of mankind, I have put him on my holy hill. Now, what is his holy hill? It's the Temple of Mount, friends. The very place that God told Abraham to take his 13-year-old son, that was the son of promise, and sacrifice him on the mount that he would show him. You know what that mount was? Mount Moriah. You know what Mount Moriah was? The early name of the Temple Mount that was purchased by David from Arana for money to make a sacrifice to the Lord to redeem Israel. God has set his king upon his holy hill. Now you're beginning to see why the battle for king of the mountain. It is. That's what it is. 
It's a battle for king of the mountain. That is what all of history has been about. That's what all of biblical prophecy has ultimately been about. I have a question for you, and God has this same question for you right now. Your heart, ultimately, is the ultimate temple mount. The Apostle Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? The Apostle Peter talked about the body of Christ being fit together as living stones to form this temple. So the question is, does Christ truly rule and reign from your heart? Don't answer too quickly. Most Christians are in various levels of defiance against God. They dis God's viewpoint. And that's why we say continually on this program, viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. If you disagree what God has said in his word, you are exactly like Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. It caused the fall of humankind and every, all of the, the, the anguish that has happened since then. Yet you think you're so smart. You're arrogating your viewpoint over God's on whatever issue it is you disagree with him on. It's that simple. You are struggling to be Lord of the temple mount of your heart and keep God through Christ from ruling there. Now, the prophet Joel, we'll go back to him for a moment. He said, Behold, in those days and in that time, I shall bring the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, that is, return the Jews to their promised land, and I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, that's the valley of Megiddo, that's Armageddon, and I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage whom they have scattered among the nations and part of my land. So in that context, God says to the Gentile nations, proclaim this among the Gentiles, prepare war. Beat your plowshares plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen Gentile nations. In other words, God is daring the Gentile nations, to come before him and put up their dukes. Come on. Take me on. You think you're so hot stuff? You don't like the covenant I made with Abraham? You don't like the fact that uh, I have said that if people will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be grafted into the original, original olive tree of covenant with Abraham? You don't like that? You're envious of that? Come on, put up your dukes. You want to have it out? Let's have it out. That's what he's saying in the book of Joel, chapter 3. Let the heathen, the nations, be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, where I will judge all the nations round about. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens of the earth shall shake 
but the Lord shall be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Hmm. So how will the eternal battle for king of the holy mountain end? Well, we know with regard to the geopolitical aspect on earth that Christ himself is going to rule and reign from the Temple Mount. But before that happens, a counterfeit figure called the Antichrist will make his effort. Satan will seek to place him there, and he will walk into a rebuilt temple and declare himself God. But the bigger question is, who is going to rule and reign on the temple mount of your heart? That's the real issue. And in that day, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill. Thus saith the Lord. Does thus saith the Lord mean anything to you? Notice I have not pontificated my viewpoint and said, thus saith the Lord. I've quoted what God himself said. There is a difference. What do you say? What is your attitude toward Israel? What is your attitude toward the covenant of promise to Israel? What is your attitude toward obedience to Christ? Are you any more obedient to Christ than the Jewish people are to their version, their vision of God? Consider these things. It's time to prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts for history's final hour. Get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain. $15 will put the $20 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. And become a partner, friends. Do it today. Don't delay. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 